Hello, my oral surgery friends. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. The goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon can improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The methods discussed are meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with research into the approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today I'm with Dr. Kevin Haddle. He is an oral and maxillofacial surgeon who specializes in cosmetics. And um, Dr. Haddle, it's great to reconnect with you and have you on the episode today. Well, thank you, Grant. I really appreciate you having me. And it's always a great opportunity to kind of give a little pearls of what I've learned in the world and in my life to those that are just starting. And there's so many things that we're not taught in school and so many yeah. things that we learn out on our own. And we learn it by trial and error. And it's always good to have somebody that has a little wisdom just to impart for us so that we don't make the same mistakes or kind of follow the same paths that others have. So I'm glad that you brought me here to hopefully shed a little light on a few things. Yes, for sure. My first question is if you could just give us a brief, I guess, rundown or history of your training and your current practice setup. Sure, I would love to do that. So, you know, back when I was a wee one and I started in college, I started off pre-med and I really wanted to go to school and, and be some sort of surgeon, but I was really thinking of a plastic surgeon. I always had this um, idea in my head from being a child that I wanted to to help people, reconstruct people, and especially help people that have, you know, had bad malformations from accidents and whatnot. And so I headed down that path and I took the MCAT. I did all the things you do to get into medical medical school and had great grades and was all ready to go. And I was, did my first uh, interview at um, IU Medical School. And during the interview process, uh, the the doctor just kind of stopped midway and said, hey, dude, I really feel you'd be a better therapist than you're going to be a, a surgeon. And I feel like that's a better path for you. And they didn't let me in. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is kind of like a derailment for me. But being young, I didn't take that well. And I decided I was going to, I was going to go to the medical school no matter what. But in the meantime, what I did is I went, I, I went to graduate school for biochemistry for a year. And in doing so, I was a a part of a, a project that was researching Alzheimer's disease and cleft palate syndrome. And we're doing the genetic sequencing for these things. Okay. And one of my preceptors was a DDS PhD. Her name was Soraya Baragi. And she became a mentor for me. She, she just became a friend. And she talked to me one day and said, you know, Kevin, I know what your aspirations are, but have you ever thought about being an oral and maxillofacial surgeon who gets their MD and then they uh, they go into a fellowship and they actually do reconstructive and cosmetic surgery. That to me was Latin. I didn't know what she said. I don't know anything <laughs> about dentistry. I've never heard the word maxillofacial, although I had my wisdom teeth removed, but I was like, I went to the oral surgeon, you know, so yeah. I was really perplexed by it all. But she goes, you know what? I can get you. I'm best friends with the dean of the dental school and I can get you into this upcoming class and we can get you started. Just use dentistry as your just kind of launching pad to do this. And here I am, and I don't know what age I am. What are you at that age, like 23? And I'm like, how many years is this going to take me? She's like, oh, maybe 10 years or so. And I'm like, what the heck? And I'm getting myself into. 
So I'm in t-shirt and jeans uh, one day in the lab and she says, get all of your transcripts together and whatnot. We'll take them over and show them to the dean. And so I sat down in front of the dean and she looked at me and she's going through everything. She goes, you're a perfect candidate for a dental school, but there's a few things you're missing. You haven't taken the DAT and you haven't taken a psychology class as part of the you know, part of our requirements to get in. Yeah. She goes, but there's a, a fast paced psychology class you can take at IUPUI. You can get that done before July. And then we'll let you take the DATs after we admit you. And oh, I'm like, wow. yeah, well, I said, what? <laughs> so that it actually happened. I had the last <laughs> place in the class. I got in and she says, oh, one final thing. You have to stay at the top of the class if you're going to get an oral surgery. And I'm like, okay, I know nothing at all about dentistry. Zero. I don't even know what I'm getting myself into. Zero. <laughs> and I did it. Wow. Sure enough, I stayed at the top of the class and, and then I matched to LSU, Max Facial Surgery Program in, in New Orleans, which is at the time one of the, the very top um, programs. I did very well there, did well through medical school. And then I decided to do my fellowship and I did it with Dr. Bill Evans at Ohio State. And he's a part of the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgery, which is part of their fellowship programs. And then after I finished that, then I, of course, I took all my boards and then I became board certified through the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgery, and I maintain that status uh, at this point. So that's kind of my how I got here. And then a part of my finding a place to, to work, I kind of went around the United States looking for the best practice. And Dr. Block, who was uh, what was the residency director at um, LSU, called me one day and said, you know, I, I think I have a physician, somebody's interested in you in Chicago area, and it happened to be in Hinsdale. And it's a big practice. They're looking for somebody that has cosmetic background to kind of work with on their orthodontic cases that they do. And so I was hired to, to do that. And I came, stayed with them for two years. But what I realized in a big practice setting is that I was better off being on my own in solo practice because I really had ideas. I wanted to build my own surgery center. I wanted to have my own autonomy. I wanted to be able to practice the way I wanted to practice. I didn't want people to say, oh, you can't buy this laser for cosmetics or that one. Because when you're a big oral surgery practice, you know, oral surgery generates taking out wisdom teeth and all those sorts of things. And if I'm the only one using these big priced instruments, the other doctors really didn't see the value in it. And so for me, I saw the value because it's what I do. It's where my passion lies. So when I went out, I, I built my own Triple HC accredited facility. I have my own operating room. I have my own lasers. I have everything I, I need to do my job. And so yeah. that's um, how I ended up where I am right now. Very cool. Yeah. Wow, that's an amazing story. I didn't realize. Yeah. I had never heard of anyone who's gotten into dental school without taking the DAT first. <laughs> or even applying for the <laughs> I know it's crazy. Oh, that's hilarious. Hey, you know, when your path is set in life, it's an example. This is one of the things about wisdom is that we all have a path and we follow our path and we don't fight our path and we just allow things to unfold the way that they're supposed to unfold. Then they will unfold in that manner and they will fold with ease and grace and we'll end up exactly where we need to be learning the right thing at the right time without any pain or suffering. And that's basically my example of that. Yes, I like that. That's very wise. In my life, I feel like there's times where I, you know, you feel like you should be going on this path, but you're kind of scared to go down it because it's going to mean a lot of change for you and change is hard. Yep. But you're right. Like pretty much every time I kind of follow that feeling, that instinct, you know, and like 
go through with it. It, it maybe it's hard at first, but it always turns out well for sure in the end. It always does. And, you know, that's the whole idea, you know, about life. There's only two choices as far as I'm concerned life. We have the choice of love or we have the choice of fear and there's nothing in between. And if we follow a path of fear, what it does, it creates limitation for us. And we don't get to have the full experience of life. And we don't get to have all the experiences that are out there for us to have. And we don't become abundant if we live in fear. So if we live from the idea of love, and what I mean by love is meaning I don't attach meaning to things. I don't try to create outcomes. I don't try to try to overanalyze things. I just let things flow and I allow myself just to be directed. And when we do that, that's when everything unfolds and everything occurs with ease and grace. And we start to see all the things that we want in life manifest. Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I wanted to kind of start by talking about some of the things you've learned in regards to being your owner of a practice and kind of being on your own. I remember in residency, because you were one of my mentors, and I remember you saying to me, you know, like, it just distinctly stuck in my mind. You said, you know, I used to work whatever, five or six days a week. And then I, I moved to four days a week. And, and I actually made more money that year. And then I went down to three days and I even made more money. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I wanted to kind of talk to you about how you've been able to do this, you know, to be successful with kind of setting your own hours and creating your own environment. Yeah, I think the first question you have to ask yourself is, what is it that I want in life? Am I driven by work? Is that really what makes me happy? Am I happiest if I work 12-hour days, seven days a week? If that's the answer and you're truly happy and you're all about it and everything about the chaos of that and going into work and experience all that is what brings you joy, then that is exactly what brings you joy. And I have nothing else to say to you. But if you're a person who has out other things outside of work that makes you happy, which would be me, then we have to analyze what it is that we're really out to do. Now, what is it we're really out to do? Are we out to be a multi-gazillionaire? Are we out to heal patients and create peace and love with society and be a, a servant of society? Are we out to just occupy time. I mean, I don't really know what everyone's you know, really goal is, but my goal is to have a balanced life. So I, of course, need to work to survive. And my work I chose to do is to work with something that has creativity and passion associated with it. So my creativity and passion comes through doing cosmetic procedures, cosmetic surgery, but also basic oral surgery. At one time, I really liked to do trauma, and I did a lot of trauma in my life. I'd like to uh, correct maybe some things that maybe not necessarily went well for other people in other surgeries, like reconstructive surgeries, and just making people's lives a little bit easier. But in doing that, now, what is I'm willing to uh, allow myself, what am I going to allow myself to allot as far as time to that? Do I want to do that five days a week, four days a week, three days a week? I don't know. But when I first came out, I was the typical gung-ho surgeon outside of school, I'm going to work six days a week. And I did. And I did it for a long while. And did it make me happy? No, it it exhausted me. I I got burnt out. A part of me getting burnt out, I'm just going to take it back a minute, is in residency. Because in residency, I was considered like a gunner. I I wanted to, I was a sponge. I wanted to learn everything. 
I would take double call. I mean, somebody, I would take call like every, every third night, but I would take call every night just so I would <laughs> learn. So I would, my buddies would like, they loved me. They're like, Kevin's going to take call with me tonight. You know, we would double up on doing, you know, wiring jaws and whatnot. I'd always sit down in the ER and learn how to like do IDs and things like that. And people would say, you're going to burn out, Kevin. You're going to burn out. But I had so much energy. I'm never going to burn out. But here we go. We get in practice. We start working six days a week. We start taking trauma call at three different hospitals. You know, we're not getting any sleep, but we're still in our 30s. We still have all the energy in the world and we can do that. But really, what is it serving? What is it serving at that time? Well, for me, it was just occupying time and space and it wasn't allowing me to see who I truly authentically am and what kind of things do I have to offer outside of that. Then as I started getting a little bit older, I was thinking, I was looking at my numbers and I was looking at the schedule and I'm seeing, well, Saturdays are so hit and miss and people just cancel left and right. And then I looked at how the week would work. You like people love Mondays, they love Thursdays and Fridays, but Tuesday, Wednesdays are kind of hit and miss, you know. So I started looking at where I would be most productive and getting the most patients and getting the most bang for my buck, but also giving myself time off. And so I started playing with it. So first thing I did is I kicked off a Saturday. I just stopped working Saturdays and I never would again. I did that years ago. I'm like, I'm not going to work a Saturday ever again. I use my weekends to recover, enjoy myself and do the things I like. And then as time went on, I'm like, hmm, I think I'll take a Wednesday off. So they gave me midweek. I work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Oh, that's perfect. And then as time went on, I was spaced it out. So then I would Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and that would like do an every other Tuesday. You know? So right now, because of COVID and everything, I'm doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But um, I have what's going on on my Thursdays every other week is I'm a medical director of a med spa in the city. So I go and do that every other Thursday. So that keeps um, a little bit of more passion, like things I like to do uh, on that day. So I don't look at that as work. I look at that as fun. I, okay. really, I really enjoy that. So there are certain jobs that I can do that I look at as fun. So I'm medical director for my sister's spa as well. I'm medical director for an IV hydration spa. And those little me- medical directorships are, they're not a lot of work. It's just about just like a chart auditing, going in, making sure everything's done, taking care of um, problems when they exist. But they bring me passion. So I don't look at those things that kind of dragging me down. But work in, in the office can, it can drag you down because especially if you're solo practice, you know, there are a lot of things, especially in solo practice, you're going to be HR, you're going to be, you know, dealing with payroll, you're going to be dealing with all the bills, you're going to be dealing with all, you know, the patient complaints and all these things that kind of come at you just outside of just being a surgeon. And it's really, really the easy job is being a surgeon. The hard yeah, job yeah. is all the other stuff around it, you know, clocking the money and dealing with all the other things that come up. So the way I balance that out is I just have staff that have assignments and they take care of certain aspects of the practice so I don't have to deal with it. So, you know, like one staff will work on patient surveys. We you know, keep surveys to see how the satisfaction is going in the practice. Another employee will deal with any billing issues with companies where we're ordering products and those sorts of things. Then I have another employee that deals with, you know, you know, any patient issues and patient care and follow-up. And so what I've done is just compartmentalized a lot of the things that used to be on my back with some of my employees, and I pay them at a higher rate just to keep that flow and that ease and grace going. So even if I go out of town, I know that my practice is well taken care of because my employees know exactly how to manage these patients and take care of my practice. Got it. 
So that sounds super important to be able to compartmentalize and delegate and set up systems. Absolutely, 100%. And really trying to maintain, you know, good employees. And that's really hard to do nowadays. To find a good employee is, I think, the most difficult thing. But if you can just get two or three good ones that are with you, your practice will will be smooth. It will be, it'll go with ease and grace. But if you have all employees with all the chaos and everything goes on, you can't get anything done because there's just constant mm-hmm. bickering and fighting. You just got to have, you know, your, you know, the pillars of your practice to keep it stable. And this is for solo practice. Now, when you're in bigger practices, you know, they're more, they're more corporate directed and you're going to have everything kind of tiered and it, that changes the whole ball game there, but you have a lot more money flowing through the practice to be able to allocate bigger jobs to people that have a little bit more background as far as what they do. You can hire somebody like a PA to come in, take care of a lot of your you know, patient issues and patient flows. You can even have a PA go in and anesthetize your patients and do the follow-up. So those type of things can change when you have a, a bigger type practice. Okay. And I guess the next question I had for you was how did you – build up your practice you know what what type of marketing did you do is it mostly word of mouth like how, how did you get to where you're at yeah that takes a lot of work in the beginning especially when you um, end up in a community where there are some well-established oral surgeons and that's where i was i was in a community where the oral surgeons had been there for a good 10 15 20 years and now you're the new guy in town and so the the new general dentist, you know, and the older general dentist, they just don't know you. And they, you have to build trust and you have to d- develop a relationship with them. So the way, um, of course, we all start off is we go to lunches with them, sit down, talk to them, get to know them, get to know their family, get to know their practice, get to know what it is that they're looking for. So that would be the first thing that I started off doing is just knocking on doors and going to their front desk, delivering a basket of gifts, little gifts, just little things just to just to say, here I am, here's my name, uh, thank you so much for whatever you can send me my way. The other thing I do is quarterly, I would deliver a gift that would be made by my mother. So it was the homemade gift from Dr. Haddle's mother. It was big. People here all know about it and they love it. And they, so every quarter they would get this beautiful gift that my mom would make and it would usually be food-based with some flowers and some other little knickknacks that would be attached to it. So I became known as the kind and compassionate oral surgeon. So you have to have your flair. So whatever your flair is, you need to make sure people know what that is. So mine is kindness and really a gentle bedside manner. That's why I get the difficult patients. (laughs) Because the difficult patients are the ones that require that extra finesse. So, yes, you know, yes. I can have the most angry patient in the world, but 99% of the time before they leave, they're leaving with a smile on their face because they, you, you have to kill them with kindness. So what I did to, to, to build my practice is to allow everyone to understand that and know that when you send somebody my way, that's how it's going to be dealt with. The other thing for me is we did a lot of work through our um, a Facebook campaign. So it's having a nice Facebook page where you can just post something two or three times a week. And what we're posting is mostly just positive things, you know, positive thoughts, positive ways of thinking, just beautiful pictures. And just see people just get it and see, oh, it's Dr. Howell, you know, that type of thing. And then we'd have promotions with our cosmetic things. 
So we would have, you know, this month's special is, you know, Botox at $12 a unit. It's usually $15 a unit. Come in and save it, that sort of thing. Or maybe a deal with some filler or a laser treatment. Then we, you know, with the holidays, we'd have something packaged into whether it was Christmas or Valentine's Day, Easter, and those sorts of things. And then after that, we just did a lot of stuff with, you know, like Instagram as well. If you're doing aesthetics before and afters, if not with oral surgery, you can show some cases where you've done some bone grafting or something like that and, and an implant. And you can see the final beautiful smile, something like that, just to let people know what your work quality is like and that you're a person who follows up, giving the patient a really good result, give them some extra beauty, you know, along the way. So. Those are the type of things that we've done in our community that's worked for us. And then being a part of the Chamber of Commerce is really important. So in my town, the Chamber of Commerce is very strong. I live in a town called Geneva, which is known to be a very boutique town, and they have a very strong Chamber of Commerce. And so when you're a part of that, they have various ways to the Chamber to market you. And especially when you're new, they'll come do a ribbon cutting for you, and they'll also promote you in the town. So if anybody comes in and says, oh, I'm looking for an oral surgeon, they're like, ah, here's one right here on Main Street. Come and check him out. Cool. And then there's festivals too. Whenever there's a festival, which we're tons of festivals in our town, we always set up a table out front and give brochures out and we market that way as well. But what the most important thing is, is after you've done this, because I've been doing this since 2005 in this area, so it's going on 15, 15 years now, you just become well-known. And it becomes word of mouth. And so there are little groups that are formed on the Internet. And one of them is like the mommy group where the mommies get online and they're like, who's the best oral surgeon? And then read down the list, you know, what are, who says what name the most? And then you'll, yeah. you'll come. To it. So just even last week, Dr. Haddle, did you know that on the mommies, whatever, whatever, your name is the one that comes up the most. And I said, OK, thank you for letting me know. Appreciate it. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know because I don't go and look it up. I don't even. I even know the name of the, the, the community, but I just know there's these little, you know, inside communities that people kind of talk amongst themselves and yeah. they find you that way. So word of mouth becomes a big thing. I see so many people, I forget, you know, a lot of my patients and I'll be at the grocery store and so I'm paying and I'm like, you know, you took out my wisdom teeth like 10 years ago. I'm like, oh, great. Did I do it? And I always like, did I do a good job? And they're like, yeah, you did a great job. I said, all right, great. I'm glad to hear, you know. I'm always worried that I'm going to get the one that was like, you know, you took my wisdom teeth. It was the worst experience of my life. And I was like, right? sorry. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, but it happens. You know, you're a small town. That's kind of what you experience. Yeah. So it sounds like you, at least at first, you attacked it from a lot of different angles yeah. to get your name out there and kind of let people know that, what you're about, who you are, what kind of patients you're looking for, stuff like that. Yeah. Now I'm the old dude. So you're right. <laughs> there's not a lot I need to do anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. The days are gone. <laughs> and then I was going to ask you, are you still involved in teaching or what, what are you doing with that? Well, I do do teaching, but not at UIC right now. This last year with COVID has been really kind of difficult. They, they do want me to do some Zoom training. Okay. And I said, they called me, I think, back in June to do some. And I was in the middle of doing something I couldn't. So I'm on the list. So I'll probably get called any minute to do something through Zoom. But other than that, I, I do a lot of training with nurse practitioners right now, training them to do fillers, Botox, and Hybella, nice. and lasers, and those sorts of things. But I'm always teaching in some aspect. But 
not right now at UIC too much. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just as a side note, I mean, I think it's, there's, there's probably not many oral surgery programs who do have much cosmetic experience going on. It's probably difficult to keep that rolling. You know, it's probably more of a fellowship type thing. Yeah. But, um, well, yeah. you got, dude, with yeah. me, didn't we, we did a lot together. Yeah. yeah, we did. We did tons of stuff. Yeah. You really got the great, the best experience of all my residents, I think. <laughs> yeah, we we did brow lifts and facelifts, facelifts, yeah, and then cheek implants and fillers and Botox and a lot of great stuff. Yeah, super helpful for me and a great exposure. Any anything that you've learned over the years as far as how to teach others and kind of guide them in, in the ways? Yeah, well. <laughs> As far as you know, teaching others, the, the thing that is most important to know in, as a, a surgeon is to really know what your limitations are. Know mm-hmm. when you need to ask for help. Know when you need to get another eye on something. Know when to send it away. Yeah. It's so important because what happens as, you know, especially in a young surgeon, we just think that we have, every, you know, we know everything. Uh, we've, we've seen it. We've done it. We can do it. But out there in the world, there are a lot of different variations of humans that exist. And we live in a very litigious society. And, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to get yourself into trouble. And, you know, very early on, very early on for me, I think within my first year of being an oral surgeon, I got a lawsuit very early on. And it wasn't anything that I would have done any differently. It wasn't anything that I did wrong. And in the end, I mean, it went to court and I won, but it was about somebody that was just looking for money. Hmm. That's all it was. Simple. Wow. It is. And it, it came out in court. That's all he wanted. He, he thought it was an easy way to get money. Wow. And the part of becoming a surgeon is you have to learn to have intuition. And intuition is a knowing and you don't know why you know. And, it, and the way you know is you learn how to read people. You have to learn their mannerisms, really what their their motivations are, and maybe it's just a little bit of just maybe unspoken just knowing that happens. But the reason I say that is because I have a lot of intuition, and it's developed a lot more as I've, I've gotten a little bit older, but it's learning how to just say no to a case. Yeah. Even if it's something you really want to do, but there's just something about it that doesn't seem right, just say no. Somebody else can do it. It doesn't have to be you. and mm-hmm. And then down the road, it'll come out why you, you, you said no. And I do it all the time now. And so I think if I'm teaching somebody, the one thing I want to teach them is just to learn how to select your cases. Don't yep. feel you have to do everything. And especially with wisdom teeth, you don't have to take out every wisdom tooth. Just because there's a wisdom tooth there, you don't have to take it out. Take out the ones that you need to take out. You know, if they're young and you can do it, then do it. But when they get older, shoot. Take out the one that's causing the problem and be done. and Praise God that they're out the door and they're happy and healthy because you can get yourself with oral surgery and all kinds of messes. So my teaching to people is you're, everybody can be a great surgeon. It's about having your mind now attached to your hands and having the ability to really read into the case. And what is the purpose of why I'm doing this? And what am I really treating here? And am I going to make this patient better? Those are the things I would teach somebody is really learning how 
just decipher what it is you're doing and what the motivation for doing it is. Yep. You know, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of us get out of school and we we're cowboys. We feel like, you know, there's, there's no tooth we couldn't pull, no implant we couldn't place. And it's very hard. It's hard to say, no, it's hard to say, you know, this isn't the right setting and, and to, because you kind of feel in some ways, maybe like you're letting the patient down, you know, the patient wants that tooth out, even though just because it looks bad on an x-ray, but it's not really bothering them. They're 35, you know, it's way down there at the inferior border. The more experience I have, the more I've gotten to say, you know, hey, this is, this is a problem situation and, and doing surgery actually would make things worse for you. It, it also makes things easier once you've paid your, your student loans off and you're kind of wealthy to the point that you don't need another tooth to, you know, keep you going. But at the same time, it's like, it's so important to be able to pick your battles and do what's right for the patient. Absolutely. And, you know, that even goes with aesthetic or cosmetic things too. And more importantly, even in that regard. So anybody out there that's doing or wants to do cosmetic stuff, here's my little advice. If you weren't trained in it, just get some training. And if you want to come on and train with me, you just look me up, Dr. Haddle, I'll bring you out and train you. But the, the key is to really know what you're doing. It's so important. And then understanding what aesthetically you can do with what you're using. What are the limitations? And then just because somebody comes in and asks you to do something doesn't mean it needs to be done. A full facial evaluation needs to be done. And it takes years to understand how to aesthetically see how everything needs to flow and come together and be balanced how you can just do one little thing and you can imbalance the whole face and make things worse. And it happens all the time out there. And like I said earlier, I spent a lot of time fixing stuff that has been done out there versus just doing it primarily. And people do it because you can make money. And, you know, once again, money comes, money goes. Being a doctor isn't about being, making just money. Being a doctor is about giving high quality care, taking care of your patients, having a happy patient, having a healthy patient. That's number one for me. The money becomes secondary to all that. Yeah, I totally agree. That's awesome. And I know you've given, and you probably still do do lectures and try to pass the knowledge on to other people. You know, very helpful. Has anything changed or have you discovered anything, you know, clinically in the last couple of years that you've learned that you could share with our listeners? Well, what I love that's you know kind of happening in the world of medicine right now is regenerative medicine, and it's a passion of mine. I love regenerative medicine. And so one of the things that I've learned that makes my life easier is using stem cells. And I use a product called AmioSpark, which is um, derived from uh, placental stem cells. And it's like Jesus juice. You just sprinkle it on everything and everything heals better. So for me, when I do bone grafting or have a wound that's not healing, I use placental-based membranes. I use placental stem cells as my liquid to liquefy my bone and to uh, create a carrier matrix. I use yeah. a lot of PRP. I use PRF. I just love it. And especially PRP can be used aesthetically as well. We use it especially in the tear troughs, a couple of treatments. You can build the chair troughs up. You can take away the dark circles under people's eyes. You can add it along with filler just to help the areas heal faster. 
So the big thing that I've really utilized in the last 10 years are more regenerative products. I also have a hyperbaric oxygen chamber in my office too that I can use for healing. I love it. I use it for a lot of my patients, pre-op and you know post-op, or send them to the hospital if I need to. So I find hyperbaric oxygen to be a, a very underutilized thing that we can use with oral surgery with osteomyelitis. I use it with all any osteomyelitis cases that I find, and especially in chronic wounds that just don't heal. Uh, patients even have nerve disturbances. Um, you can certainly send them to get some dives done and it helps regenerate um, tissues. So that's the, where my focus is for the future is anything that's reju- regenerating. Oh, very nice. I was going to ask, do you do anything with cryotherapy at all? Well, I do send patients for some cryo every once in a while, but it has some limitations, but it's really good at really shocking the blood supply, getting it to, to really kind of kickstart it a bit. And it, it right. along with um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy and also red light therapy, which is another beautiful technology. I use that quite a bit too to help heal tissues as well. Oh, so nice. at some point in my life, I would like to have a clinic that is just um, our regenerative medicine. Okay, excellent. For those younger students, uh, dental students, residents, people who may be considering going into cosmetics, you know, what would you say to them? I think, first off, for the average dentist, oral surgeon, you know, the mentality is, I like doing things with my hands, getting the job done and, and being done with it. And I think there's an aspect of cosmetics that kind of scares some people with that mentality because the cosmetic patient has that stigma that they're, you know, there's always some issue, you know, that's always wrong and they're never going to be happy and they're just very high maintenance patients. What would you say to people who are thinking that way? Well, that whole thought process has changed in the last probably five years. Actually, the majority of patients that I see at Neo Med Spa, which is the spa that I work at in the city are patients between 22 and 30. Okay. So the new idea is, is that you need to get on board doing aesthetic things before you get too old. And the new generation feels old is 30. Okay. So, so they're not this nitpicky gen- generation of people any longer. It's not, The 80s and 90s brought a lot of this like, oh, perfection, I can't get it right, I can't get it right, oh my God. It's not so much like that anymore. Uh, Patients can be, there are so many things out there available to bring, to make a happy patient these days with minimal downtime that I find that I'm getting more happy patients now than I ever have. Mm. And it's probably a combination of me just knowing my technologies too, but I think it's just the way, there's 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 a shift and the way people respond to aesthetics. And I think the reason why that it used to be so nitpicky, it was was a small segment of society that had body dysmorphic disorder, and those are the ones that were being attracted to these clinics. Now, because it's so widely accepted that people don't feel there's a, a big stigma associated with cosmetic treatment, it's almost the norm, it's getting to be the norm. It's getting, a whole variety of patients now where patients are more easily satisfied and it's probably just because it's being the body dysmorphic people are being diluted a little bit 
So to answer your question, I don't feel that that should be the reason why you should feel not comfortable learning aesthetics. I think that being a, an oral and maxillofacial surgeon, this is a part of what created our specialty with facial aesthetics. We were the original plastic surgeons back in the early 1900s. There wasn't a plastic surgery program. They were all dual degree people, DDS, MDs back in the 1900s, and it was cross-trained. And oral maxillofacial surgeons were the ones that were doing majority of the cases back then. So what's happened is it's all been taken away from us, of course, with turf wars in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But now that's starting to dilute back to where it's easier for all of us to get a little piece of that pie, especially for us who have gone and done fellowships and we have gotten our medical degrees because there's nothing that should stop us at that point. But just our basic, you know, um, training programs, if you want to learn aesthetics, you certainly should look, learn everything you can about aesthetics. If you can't do it in your program, then find some reps to these companies that will train you because they'll come out and train you. Get a patient, they'll come out and train you. Hmm. The reps will. They'll send a nurse out. So, nice. you know, Allergan or Galderma, any of those programs or, uh, or companies will bring out a rep get a patient and they'll let you, they'll bring some products and you can inject, you know, Very you can cool. learn. So I highly suggest the new guys coming out of training, go and learn, learn everything you can. Even if you don't use it in practice, it's just good to know. It's good to know. Totally. It's all about just things you can educate patients about. Yep. And there's so many principles of cosmetic surgery that I learned from you and Dr. Evans that translated over to, everything else very yes. very helpful for sure especially like with wound healing too you i'm sure you learned a lot about how wounds heal and how to suture in layers and how to get things approximated averting the you know the epidermis and getting a flat wound all those things for trauma mm -hmm. you, use, you just translate those things into trauma cases you can utilize your principles of aesthetics all over the place especially yep. you know like with injectables if you know how to do a good injectable and you can get some catalog and inject a, a scar. And you can do it yeah. with a little bit more finesse than you might if you didn't know how to do that. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Cool. Any other comments or thoughts you had about doing cosmetics, owning your own practice, doing what you're doing? Well, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it all over again because I've learned so much through my training and through practice, it's, it's definitely, I feel, one of the most challenging specialties that exist as far as medicine goes. If you decide or you are an oral maxillofacial surgeon, don't allow yourself to get burned out. Really focus early on on what really makes you happy and what's going to help balance your life out. Find things outside of oral surgery that bring you joy and happiness. Like for me, I'm a clay maker, so I make clay. I throw things on the wheel. I make slabs. I put things together. I like the earthiness of it. I like the creation. I'm a landscaper. I built a Japanese garden. I'm out in the garden all summer long. I'm a power lifter. Since uh, Grant has seen me, I've gained 30 pounds in muscle, so I'm like 230 pounds. <laughs> I lift heavy things, and I do that five days a week. So. 
that brings wow. me. I'm a spiritual counselor, so I've um, taken spiritual counseling training, and so I counsel people um, spiritually. You know, I do a lot of Zen work. I do work with shamans in the jungle of Peru and Brazil. I usually go every year for a couple weeks, and I do that. And so I'm a very eclectic person that likes very eclectic things, and but that's what brings me joy, and that's what brings me balance. If I was a full-time oral surgeon and that's all I did seven days a week, I would just be a puddle of mud. <laughs> These other balancing things are what makes me into a better surgeon. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And what you just said, some of your things you're doing outside of surgery, I totally relate with. They also fit right in because we've been, a new thing I'm doing is I'm trying to end my, end my podcast with some rapid fire questions <laughs> where you just give like a brief one sentence answer. Uh-huh. And some of these will fit, but the first question I was going to ask you is what's the best book you've read in the past year? Oh, okay. So I'm reading a book right now by Martin Hull right now that is about illumination and the experiences of 5-MeO-DMT. Okay. That's a, that's a good one. We should read it. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. It's full of a lot of wisdom and enlightenment. Okay. What has been the most helpful non-oral surgery thing you've done or currently do that helps you with your oral surgery skills? Becoming a spiritual counselor has been um, one of the biggest things that helped me with my skills. And the reason is I've learned very well not to take everything on and not to be offended by what others may say or act in the manner which they act around me. So it's allowed me to disassociate myself from others' actions and to see that they have a belief system other than myself that they're projecting, and I do not need to be associated with it, and I can allow myself to find ease and grace by stepping away from it. So it's really helped me a lot because I'm a very empathic person, so I would take on other people's energies, and I don't have to do that any longer. Okay. Yeah, very helpful. That's, that's a good tip. Who has influenced your OS career the most? <laughs> that's probably a big question. I would say that Dr. Evans, okay. has, he gave me a lot of pearls in regards to oral maxillofacial surgery, even though I was in an aesthetic fellowship. And yeah. it was in regards to handling patients and running a practice. Interesting. Okay. Because he does both of those and he probably yeah. taught you a lot about that stuff. He did a lot. Yes. Okay. Next question. What forceps do you use to remove tooth number five? <laughs> uh, tooth number five, what I use is an upper forcep, and I don't even remember the number of it. Uh, okay. I know that's what you want me to say. <laughs> like a, isn't it like a 150 or something? I don't know. Yeah, 150. Um, so you don't use the ash forceps? You use the uh, upper? No, no, no. I only use an ash if I'm doing a lower incisor. Okay. Good to know. Ash, I, ash, they're too aggressive. They'll break off the crown. Yeah. So that, so yeah. My, that would be a little pearl of mine. Don't use an ash on a premolar. <laughs> okay, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the last question is, what is your favorite quote? What is my favorite quote? Oh, here we go. I'll have to remember how to say it right, though. 
I may be poor, I may be ugly, but thank God I'm alive. <laughs> uh, who is that that's from? The, from? That's from the color purple. Okay. One of my favorites. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Uh, that reminds me that you always played 80s music when we were doing our procedures. I did, well, because I am a product of the 80s. I graduated high school in 1986, <laughs> probably before you were born. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was born in 1980, so I was definitely an okay. 80s product for sure. Well, that's all I had for you. I really appreciate right. you taking the awesome. time to talk to me. Well, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Cool. Well, let's right. connect and uh, keep in touch. Let's do that. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery, Surgeons Talking Shop. If you are practicing oral surgery or are in the oral surgery field and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com or text me at 720-441-6059. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed on this podcast, or feedback regarding an episode that was already aired, please do not hesitate to email or call me. Thanks again for listening.